Chapter One of Flowers and Ferns in Their Haunts by Mabel Wright. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter One The Coming of Spring. When time o' year padlocked his cabin door and with his trout pole under his arm wafted across the meadow path until he vanished like a shadow between the willows the hillside people knew that whatever other signs might fail spring was surely at hand time o year made no pretensions to weather prophecy in fact he was altogether an unpretentious mortal coming going and biding his own time silently like the spirit of some straight white frost shaft yet his smile was never frosty it came far back from his deep-set eyes and quivered among his wrinkles whenever he was questioned about the state of the woods the height of the river at the remoter bridges or the prospect of trout catching until the questioner always felt that the old man was possessed of secrets told him by no one but the magician himself and which he was pledged not to reveal it was his favorite saying his apology for any halt in the progress of things that had given him the name time o year by which alone i first knew him a name also in full accord with his cheerful temper and his loyalty to outdoor life the river's a little overcrowded beyond the glen but none too full for the time o year trout's few as yet and what's come down's too scart and dazed with the flood to see a fly but that's what i allus reckon on this time o year if however you spoke of the nesting place of a shy bird or the haunt of some elusive flower his attitude would instantly change and he would subtly begin to sift your motives no rustic gossip he to tattle of woodland doings to the merely curious if he deemed his questioner a collector seeking to despoil the woods of flower and feather either for gain or for private hoarding that person's fate was sealed should a botanist appear provided with microscope and vasculum his contempt was hardly less deep and he would reveal the location of nothing rarer than a field of buttercups perhaps feigning ignorance of plant lore yet muttering to himself skoomounts i know em poking their fingers into posies mouths to feel their teeth and splitting em open to count their ribs then like as not yanking the rest up by the roots to dry em into hay yes i've caught em at it and seen it done sometimes they say they want my flowers to paint em into pictures paint away says i they're here ready to sit for ye from frost living to frost coming but look out you don't spoil the pictures god's filled the earth with in so doing the names they give em too long enough to make a man think the woods is full of diseases like what the town doctor fetches over to the hilltop folks when they have colic by hilltop folks he meant the summer people a half day's ride away who were the bane of his usual placid life it was they who eager for local color insisted in intruding upon his cabin snapping their impertinent little cockney cameras at everything within range asking questions as to where he obtained his delicate fishing rod how he learned the art of tying flies of original design also probing his past and present hermit way of life ruthlessly why had he let his farm on the hilltop 
go into other hands was it still his or had he given it up for taxes alack why is it that money and good breeding are accumulated in an inverse ratio the people who come out to conquer the land by purchase so often have only the one the people born on the soil the other the native new englander certainly has a highly developed bump of curiosity which properly cultivated is neighborliness but before it is placed the right of the individual to privacy doubtless there were many things that the hilltop folk desired to know concerning the old man whose forebears for two centuries had tilled the soil that now lay a fallow waste of wild grass and field flowers the middle-aged remembered his young wife the daughter of the glen miller and their only child a restless questioning boy who had disappeared short of forty years before some said with a peddler others to go to the civil war was he alive or dead no one knew parcels were left at the cabin at rare intervals by the carrier and the old man had many little things not of local origin like his fishing rod and gun but his neighbors asked him no questions and he had remained a myth of the fifteen-mile circle that swings around Treebridge, Lone Town, the Glen, and the Hollow. One day in middle April, after a winter so long and cold that it had almost numbed even the memory of growing things, Nell and I went out to look for spring. That is to say, I did the looking, and Nell, being a pony, the walking, a comfortably cooperative arrangement for, like many prospectors, we went far afield for what we might have found close at hand. But when the spring thirst for outdoors comes upon one, the hunting cools the fever of longing nearly as much as the finding. Up and out of the house, away from houses, away from the pleasantness of the planted and sheltered garden things that do not indicate the pulsings of wild nature, Nell snorted and pranced with joy, experiencing a sort of hoarse second childhood as the keen breeze scattered tiny tufts of her loosened winter coat to feather wayside briars and offer early birds rare bargains in all wool nest lining. Myrtle warblers flitted along the waysides, mingling the remains of winter-worn bay and poison ivy berries with fresh ants and a sort of spring salad fox sparrows and white throats sent up an occasional retrospective melody from pastures where the snow had held the seeded grasses against the wind's caprices and quail ran noiselessly by through the undergrowth or told their names boldly from a fence rail it was still two hours before noon when we found ourselves over the hills and well within time o years country on a sunny crossroad that led through lone town ah the silence yet after all the deepest quiet is made by the perfect harmony of subdued sounds dry leaves scurried along the fences then the rush of the distant mill-stream separated itself from the stillness next the trickle of a nearby brook that in its spring madness had lost its reckoning for a space and after turning a low meadow into a pond gropingly found its rocky pathway through the woods again Two gray rabbits crossed the road with long leaps, and a light footstep overtook us. It was Time o' Year, with his trout-pole, emerging from a furry-clawed clump of pussy-willows that skirt the meadow, to follow the brook again. 
I ventured to ask him, Does Arbutus still grow in the woods by the hollow road? Dropping his rod so that he rested on it like a staff, he looked at me critically. The shrewd expression that came over his face as he spied my camera and appurtenances changing to one of undoubted satisfaction as he discovered neither spade trowel basket or tin box yet he would not commit himself and merely said did it used to grow there moving on as he spoke there was no time to be lost so i quickly told him that i had not come to pull to pieces or transplant that the flowers of those woods and hillsides were old friends of mine whose names were written long ago in both brain and heart, that now I only came to see them in their haunts, my quest being of the bird in the tree, the flower in the landscape, the spirit, not the letter of the law, the meaning, not the anatomy. For a moment I feared that time o' year did not understand my explanation, born of the first real touch of spring and my desire to propitiate him. He did, however but his ideas came to him more by thought than through words. Arbutus does grow, yet, in the holler woods. Only folks don't think it does, or there wouldn't be any. Come and see. Refusing the proffered ride, he strode up a wood path, taking a shortcut while we followed slowly, Nell halting now and then to snatch at a tuft of young grass. The change of flower growth from spring to fall is made no less wonderful by its regularity, and the bareness of spring is as different from the nakedness of winter as slimness is from thinness. The greater number of the early blooms are pale and hide in the grass or under dead leaves. They have less landscape value, therefore, than the flowers of summer and autumn that crowd the fields and march up the roadsides to demand attention. The first three to appear, sometimes in rapid succession and sometimes together, precede even their own leaves, the skunk cabbage having its rank flowers enclosed in a pointed wrapping like the bouquets of the Madeline flower market, while the flesh tints of the trailing arbutus and the lavender or white hepaticas are enhanced by the dark-toned resistant leaves of the past season. Wise Magician so to set your scenery, while the peeping marsh-frogs twang away on a single fiddle-string, as befits the first arrivals in an orchestra. Vivid color and wild music would be a too abrupt transition from the season of etched outlines and silence that is only broken by the calling of crow, owl, and jay, the snapping of icicles and the winds whistling. The magician, though he keeps flower and leaf-bud ready, so that he may unfold rapidly, is the very prince of modulators, and does nothing jarringly. Time a year rejoined us in the lane with its grass-divided wheel-tracks. On the right the bank sloped to the trout stream. On the left it was part of a rocky, wooded hillside. The bushes were almost leafless, and the usually narrow stream was again trespassing on the lowlands. It might be November, I said, leaving Nell and going down to the water's edge. No, it might not. Look, said Time o' Year, jerking his head backward over his shoulder. There, almost at my feet, unharmed by the drift of the stream, was a skunk cabbage, its thick green leaves so far developed as to show that it had been long in bloom. 
beside it grew a stalk of false hellebore with its crumpled leaves fast unfolding while underneath the spotted twin leaves of a few plants of adder's tongue bore the stalks that held each its single yellow flower while we were watching for spring on the hilltops she has crept in by the waterways and entrenched her forces like a good commander and yet as often as she does it we are always surprised i said but my companion had again disappeared yes and before one can half realize the coming of spring the flower procession is upon us and marching by music and all of course the memory of it remains and often gives us back what we did not visualize at the time it is then that the camera comes to our aid that silent companion whose eye translates the doings of nature truthfully without gossip yet always in an indulgent spirit being in itself a lesser magician bringing the frolicking squirrel the brooding bird and the delicate traceries of flower and fern within the very glow of the study fireside yet leaving them unmolested in their haunts one day i had found a plant of blue fringed gentian in a place where before it was unknown i thought if i pick the flowers they will close and being an annual the place will know the wanderer no more i will take its portrait for my photo herbarium then when i had left the place and it was too late i fell to wondering what other stray plants might have been its companions in the sodden meadow where the bog moss was ankle-deep for i had seen only the gentian the answer to my thoughts flashed back next day from the developed plate where i found forget-me-nots grass of parnassus three kinds of violet leaves with ladies tresses moonwort and crested shield ferns all grouped around the gentian time o year whistled from far up the lane and as i pulled myself back to the road a small branch struck me lightly across the face it was a spray of spice-bush thick with its yellow stamened flowers that coming upon bare twigs remind one strongly of stunted witch-hazel bloom i stooped to free my skirt from catbriar thorns and glanced backward to where the sun shone full upon the sunken strip of cleared land that caught the brook's overflow there glistened golden tufts of marsh marigold the first true pledge of the sun to the marshes even as the dandelion is to the fields again time o year whistled and nell left browsing to fall into a reluctant trot as we went on to join him he was sitting on a chestnut stump half a mile further up the lane motioning me to tie nell to some bars at the entrance to the pasture on the opposite side he began to scramble through the underbrush towards the woods catbriar again coils and ropes of it surely the magician was the inventor of barbed wire and protected much of his property with it before man wore terrible clothes catbriar helps to keep the balance even now in woodland economy the rabbit may run under where the fox meets a barrier the ruffled grouse can slip safely to shelter while the hawk that dropped too boldly is arguing with the hooked thorns that pluck tufts of his feathers to rags or sometimes hold him altogether a prisoner until his lifeless wings flap to and fro in the wind like a scarecrow once free of wayside underbrush we entered a region of hemlocks 
oaks mingled with other forest trees, and rich leaf-mold, ankle-deep, and crusted by the unchanged leaves of last year's shedding, made an elastic footing. Straightway we were greeted by a single cluster of white hepaticas. "'Snowflowers, I call these,' said Tomagier, gaining more precise speech. "'I've often found them, when the sun's come out hot, the end of March, in little thawed places in front of rocks, when the snow was lying thick on the north side. It's best to allers look on the south side of things, especially at this time of year.' Much of the older growth had been cut away several seasons before, and a maze of dead branches, left where the trunks had been trimmed, made progress very slow. Ledge rocks, as well as mossy boulders, protruded everywhere, and now and then a hidden spring trickled down drop by drop, its course being revealed by the greenness of the moss. In one such spot were a few bunches of the pure, white, fragile-petaled bloodroot, the palmate leaves having hardly loosed their hold upon the flower-stalks they pushed up between. Wood anemones nodded close by, and in the shallow earth, on a rock-ledge, perched the resetted leaves of early saxifrage, with some scattering flower-stalks, nothing as yet in abundance, but promise everywhere. On went time of year without speaking, until, leading straight through the sharp breastworks of a great fallen hemlock, from whose branches hung the old nest of a parula warbler, like a shred of southern moss blown to northern woods, he halted. Kneeling, he brushed away the leaves and twigs from the ground before him. Beneath them was a thick mat of leathery leaves, some dark green and bronze, others delicately veined. Vine-like branches trailed from the mass, and here and there nestled the clustering arbutus flowers that breathed the first wood incense of the year. This, truly, is a blossom that must be visited in its haunts, to be known save by name. Torn up and bunched in nosegays, it loses the most delicate quality of its perfume and all the characteristics of its growth. I also knelt and buried my face in the woodland bouquet, and when I looked up, time o' year was watching me, and wore his smile from afar off. Then we each perched on a stump, and continued to gaze until an oven-bird broke the reverie with his call. "'Does it always bloom as early as this?' I asked, after I had looked and sniffed to my heart's content. "'You can never say just when, about posies,' answered time o' year deliberately. Some years one kind is first, and then another. I used to allow that skunk cabbages let off, but one time we had a warm February, and that started em up, rash-like. Then along in early March it froze so hard it nearly killed the coons in their holes, and before those cabbages got their courage and their blood up again, our beautus was out, and wake-robins, and shad-bush, and a different sort of violet for every finger on your hand. You see, it depends on the kind of season we get and the way things lie to the sun, beside the bent of their own natures. Take birds, now, and they come up to time likelier. The swallows haven't missed their week, the last in April, for coming to my old barn on the hill not since I can remember, 
but then they can move themselves and reckon things out a bit, while the posies have to sit still until the sun calls them above ground. They just do as they're told and don't hustle and worry. That's why I think they're so restin' to brood on. But bless yer, it stands to reason that they must come variable and uncertain, especially at this time of year. Now here's Red Wake Robin, he continued, leading me a few yards back to where a low spot made a division between two hills. On the west and north side of the woods, you needn't look for it till May, when we get the big white kind over on the hill slope above the bridge. Then the jacks in the pulpit and the wild ginger are hustling along with Solomon's seals, bellwort, and blue flags in the wet places, and the red bells have most driven the saxifrage off the rocky places. Now only the south meadows showin' life, and the north's as bare as your hand. There was the handsome but evil-scented wake-robin, surely enough, and more bloodroot, while the lily-leaved stalks and feathery flowers of the false Solomon seal were foreshadowed only by the thick green wands that everywhere pierced the earth of the moist copse. I ventured to ask time o' year where he had learned the accepted popular names of so many of the flowers, for almost all rural nomenclature is indefinite to the verge of confusion, and red bell, a local name for red columbine, or aquileta canadensis, was his only slip. Hesitating at first, his usual habit, he said, A piece back, it might be ten years, a schoolma'am came to stop over our way for her health. Our doctor, the old one that's dead now, and has that stone arch up in the hill burying ground, told her to quit medicine and get outdoors, which she did, and liking flowers, and looking like, that is, favoring someone I once knew, I showed her what I could. She told me some names that I couldn't recollect and didn't want to, and when I told her so she laughed, and learned me others that had sense in them. When she went away, she left me her study book with them all marked out plain in red ink, so I shouldn't forget. I always hoped maybe she'd come again. Here was a revelation. Most people thought Tom year half-witted from his silence. Who had ever heard him speak so much before? But as I turned to ask another question, he rose and quickly disappeared in the direction opposite to which we had come to the wood. The warmth of the sun suggested returning to the highway by the old logging road skirting the southern slope of the woods, and through the south meadows that time o' year had said were showing signs of life rather than by the barren lane. As I worked my way back to the bars where Nell was tied and scanned the ground closely, there were signs of growth on every side, but held in abeyance as if waiting a signal. I touched the earth where the fists of sturdy cinnamon fern were striving to push through. It was dry and hard. Rain, 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 peeped the marsh frogs from below, as a cloud crossed the sun. True, I thought, spring will not shake her garments to the breeze and dance and sing in full abandonment without her baptism. Earth and sun are ready, but water must complete the creative trio. But where was Nell? There were the bars, with only the neck strap tethered to them. 
goose i said to myself as i looked you were so excited by the prospects of finding arbutus that you simply noosed nell instead of pulling the strap through the bit if you have to walk home and find your very best camera sprinkled in sections along the way, you will have no one but yourself to blame. But Nell had merely freed herself in resentment of being tied instead of wholly trusted, and was grazing along a little beyond the turn, looking over her shoulder every few minutes in the direction where I had disappeared. The chaise and its contents were right side up, and upon the seat lay a single sprig of arbutus, a wand of blossoming shadbush, and two exquisitely spotted brook trout resting on a few dry beech leaves. How had the old man placed them there? Well done, I said to Nell, rubbing her nose with my cheek. Time a year approves of us, and believes that we are honest folk, so he has left a sign and given us the freedom of his country. Do you know what that means for us, Nell, this coming to find the flowers in their homes? it means days in wood and meadow by river and wayside from the sea gardens up through the lone town to the glen it means sunburn and thunder showers freckles briar scratches nettle stings and mosquito bites but oh such deep sleep in the nights that follow those days and nell we must come often now we must visit these unspoiled places week by week while yet we may, for only here can we find the natural haunts of things. Before axe, plough, and quarry drill drives us out, we will, instead of plucking and uprooting, make pictures of all this loveliness, wind and weather aiding, I added humbly, for the image of a swallow on the wing is not more impossible to capture than that of a pendulous flower when the wind is abroad. Nell only whinnied and sniffed the breeze, Yet surely the most intelligent sympathy is that which does not divert one's thoughts or jar a happy mood. So we turned in our tracks and began our zigzag return through the south meadows to the highway. Presently the brush grew thinner, and the sun filtered steadily through it. A startled whippoorwill, who had been sleeping almost as close to a branch as the bark itself, suddenly divided himself from his perch, and, unmindful of the early hour, gave his weird cry many times. Nell stopped short in astonishment. Surely this was the time of first things, a day of beginnings. The whippoorwill's cry was startling, and as my eyes followed the bat-like downward swoop with which he disappeared in the shadows, they rested on the first flower landscape of the year. Stretching backward from the open, Toward the young growth of saplings was a glade starred by the delicate spring beauty, whose rose-penciled white petals open freely to the sun, but furl on being picked almost as quickly as the leaves of the sensitive plant. Here was a flower of itself, inconspicuous, yet when massed in its haunts the very eye of the landscape. What a region for violets, dry woods, Moist hills, hillside, and meadow furnish food and lodging for a dozen members of that shy family which never trusts its secrets to anything but the earth. Many species burrowing, unopened, and independent flower-buds into the ground itself to ripen seed and plant it in strict seclusion. The first-born of all, the little blue palmate violet, was already wide awake and smiling, and the three whites were sending out a few stray flowers to try 
if the air was warm enough to stir the blue blood in their veins. The smallest of these, Blanda, is our only native violet that has a suggestion of perfume other than the pungent birch odor shared alike by violets and pansies. The Canada violet is the tallest of the trio, but its blossoms are less distinctly white and sometimes might be mistaken for common blue violets gone pale, while the lance-leaved has stiffness for a characteristic stiff narrow leaves and a way of holding its bearded purple-veined petals primly erect a little later and the bird's foot violet of rich color and finely cut leaves will be on the hillside creeping toward the drier side of the woods where lives its downy yellow cousin with straggling leafy stalks and flowers the color of celandine in the lower springy woods between old logs and mossy stones the paler smooth yellow violet will greet may day under the shade of giant jack-in-the-pulpits and have for company the strange wild ginger blossoms that spend their brief existence ear to earth as if listening for a footstep in short one might talk a day away about the tribe of violet and not be done with it no other familiar plant of the nearby woods and fields where such diversity of leaf shapes the leaf type so often overshading that of the flower as to give the name and identify the plant after the blooming has passed the old road being of decaying slabs ides made it necessary for me to lead nell as it was too full of pitfalls for even that clever forefoot what was that yonder in a second lightly shaded place sloping southward like the haunt of the spring beauty maidenhair ferns breaking the ground no a more sturdy shaft growing upward but not yet expanded ah one leaf reveals it all in a few weeks two or three at most the soft green umbrellas of the mandrake or may-apple will be sheltering each of its white-capped flower from sun and rain as it takes its place in the great spring flower market of outdoors ah for the chance to sit wide-eyed in that market-place and watch the procession enter to-day come the heralds and outriders and the heart beats high with expectancy yet plan as one may one's dealings with a god outdoors are always uncertain in this itself lies no small fascination to-day we have met spring as she timidly enters by the valleys if a few weeks pass before Nell and I can return to Time o' Year's woods, Spring will have shown herself bravely on the hilltops, and be waving her green banners from every nook that holds a thimbleful of soil, from which she can raise her standard of fertility. For every ambitious rock-cleft manages to hold a leaf or two in middle May. That is the time when the early and the late flowers meet each other and salute, one advancing, the other retreating through the company of conservative intermediates then while we must search carefully in moist woods for dwarf ginseng trientalis baneberry sarsaparilla wintergreen mediola and mitrewort other flowers are warming the soft green of the open landscape with splashes of color then it is that the columbine begins its reign of fire among the granite rocks of old hillside pastures and the gorgeous painted cup carries the same color scheme across wet meadows under the very eye of the sun 
this last is a misnamed flower that must be known in its haunts where its darting tongues of flame outblaze even the autumn cardinal flower it is not a cup-shaped flower and the color is not in the bloom itself which is pale yellow and akin to wood betony but in the red stem leaves that mingle with the blossoms this flower is a thing of the landscape a single stalk is merely curious a meadow of flame with it is like fire creeping among autumn grasses so is it also with the delicate pale purple five-petaled flower of the wild geranium a single stalk is often ragged showing buds and overblown blossoms at once but its color is most striking when seen in masses in open fields or along the lighter wood edges where it remains in perfection well into june in fact these three flowers identify themselves so thoroughly with the season's landscape that if some random questioner asks what was that bank of scarlet that i saw to-day among the rocks as i came on in the train it is perfectly safe to answer columbines and the great patch of the same color in a lower pasture painted cup there were also masses of flowers of a peculiar lilac shade that grew in broad waves along the field edges and in the gullies beside the track i could see the color but not the shape they were not violets nor iris but something slender that swayed in the grass wild geraniums the pink azalea or pinkster flower as it is known locally is a shrub of may that carries a rosy warmth of color among gray rocks and up bare hillsides until it is an inseparable part of the spring landscape akin to the mountain laurel and great rose bay or rhododendron and forerunner of them it is found in equal beauty growing along the shady wood roads and in clearings where first the logger and then the charcoal burner have not left even a sapling blush white or pink in the shade in the open it deepens in the bud through carmine almost to crimson and is called red by the undiscriminating though it never takes the orange yellow and scarlet tints of the flame azalea of the pennsylvania and carolina mountains while among flowers the first comers are pale the magician soon blends brilliant colors for his work though he paints less broadly with them than in summer and autumn as regards the yellow and white flowers of the landscape it is well to answer questions with greater caution there are so many of the magician's treasures in sight at this season and mere color is not always rightly caught in a swift glance was it a bed among rocks of much cleft silver-green foliage set with flower sprays of two-pointed white and yellow bloom that might be pairs of elfin trousers hung out to bleach then you may say they were dutchmen's breeches wood and rue anemones both make patches of light in shady places but the rue is less brilliantly white owing to the mixture of the foliage with the blooms while the wood variety holds its head well above its leaves even though it hangs it down in a discouraged fashion as the approach of night or during cloudy weather and bluets also look white in spite of their name when seen in the grass-like abundance common to them the tiny two-leaved feather-flowered meanthemum a sufferer for a suitable name and a half-cousin of false solomon's seal also makes a frost-like fretwork of white 
in the deepest shade as well as in comparatively open places if the white flowering landscape herbs of spring are confusing the yellow ones are doubly so marsh marigold tells its own name very well almost as plainly as the chickadee for both are in evidence at a time when they have swamp and tree largely to themselves yellow adder's tongue also has a distinctive leaf and growth but when one tries to separate at a distance the golden mazes of buttercups dandelions squaw and rattlesnake weeds and the low-growing star-grass from yellow oxalis intuition must piece out knowledge it is a far easier task for the novice to name the flower in the hand than the flower in the landscape the first requires attention to detail alone the second the comprehensiveness the impressionability of art patient nell at last became restless the treacherous ribbed roadbed that had forced me to lead the way disappeared altogether and the track became an endless puddle i did not complain however because at this juncture i found the first hyla and rather the little peeping frog surnamed pickering discovered me by landing on my knee in the course of a miscalculated leap i held him in my hand for a moment looking with something akin to awe at the throbbings of the almost transparent body whose penetrating voice is the first assurance of the coming of spring once again upon the wind-swept highway the signs of growth lessened in a few moist spots the vigorous cinnamon fern and others of its family were emerging from their woolly winter wraps light clouds continually veiled the sun and promised a shower the password that alone could fling wide the door of spring's entrance soon again the landscape bareness was broken from across a narrow railway curve waved white plumes of shadbush preceding the downy leaves on the leaden-hued stalks obeying an impulse i gathered an armful of this april snow that fell over my shoulders in soft flakes even as i brought it back to fasten some twigs on nell's collar and used the rest for a lap-robe the clouds were now gathering fast and loneliness seemed to come with them it takes either health and wildly good spirits or else philosophy to make a solitary trip in the woods endurable the former are preferable as companions because outdoor philosophy is possible only in a rather argumentative mood which is at variance with the physical exhilaration and mental calm that we seek in fresh air but out in the open it is different for when the sun shines there is not a shadow to hide even the ghost of loneliness a drop of rain fell on my nose another and the shower was upon us the chaise top and boot have saved me many a wetting in fact a wise horse and that democratic vehicle that usually suffers the indignity of the name of buggy corrupted from the east indian word for gig are indispensable companions for a woman who visits the flowers in their haunts or goes hunting with a camera the wonder of the change since early morning a keen ear might have heard the leaves unfurl and the wrappings drop from the various catkins while the unalloyed aroma of the earth arose with the vapor of the steaming pastures at home with nell safely stabled and fed I stood on the porch watching the water course down the triple trunk of a slender black birch. Suddenly the rain ceased and the sun rent the clouds in hot haste. 
as if at this signal the magician raised his staff the adhesive winter wrappings melted and the birch tree was enveloped in a golden glory of yellow stamened tassels the season offered many golden days and wood and field overflowed with ferns and flowers but the first is the longest remembered the day that began and ended in sunlight with the wedding of an april shower between the day when nell and i going out to see the coming of spring met time o' year in the lane and the master on his return from his day among paved ways gratefully ate the trout for his supper with a sprig of arbutus in his buttonhole then at twilight we stood under the birch's golden shower rejoicing more precious this treasure than hesperus's apples for no one would dispute its possession with us save the bees End of chapter one